This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Second Wind. Today, I have a fabulous gal named Dawn Kelly, and we have a very random history as well. I have uh, been meeting, not knowing how important this woman was going to be in my future, but I've been seeing her and meeting her at this place called Resource and Honeycomb Consignment, which is a shop within the Serenby border. Mm-hmm. I had a show about Serenby and Garney Nigren was on it. And then my daughter got married in Serenby. So, but you know, as with most people, I love the stories and I love sharing. And I noticed that Dawn hadn't been in the shop for a little while. And uh, it was, it was weird. Cause she, she like runs that place. She is in charge of not only consignment, which in and of itself is like crazy important and nightmare and lots of moving parts. Then also the the retail mm-hmm. of new very nice things. Uh, there's you've got like an artisan jewelry person that I have bought many things from, and just beautiful beautiful things. So anyway, I noticed that she wasn't there, which didn't make sense. And then I found out she had actually gone to the hospital. And then finally you come back, and I didn't really know you well enough to be able to just kind of say, "Oh hey, I'm that crazy lady that comes in looking for really crazy." and tell you really crazy stories. And we weren't there yet. So now you'd know who some ladies, if somebody referred to me, as like, okay. But anyway, so you came back and I said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Where have you been? And you went into your story and tears were cried and it was amazing. But more amazing is what you're doing with this what could have been something that knocked you right out of life. What you've done with that information and where you're going with it is so important. And the, and the message you want to get out. Mm -hmm. And we haven't talked about that on second wind yet. And I'm super excited to share this very important message for our listeners. And uh, without further ado, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you for inviting me on this amazing podcast. I love the name. And of course, I'm a big fan of yours. So thanks again. It's a, it's a story that we definitely need to get out there. You're absolutely right. And um, it's, as I've told you, it's a preventable surprise. And that's our heart. You know, it's, it's, that, um, it's that part of our body that you can't see it. So it doesn't always get examined. And I just had this conversation yesterday with the woman who virtually saved my life. Uh, She is on the Emory cardiac team. And we were at a party together yesterday. And uh, we were talking about the fact that it is uh, cardiac issues are the number one killer for women. You would think it's breast cancer. You would think it's ovarian cancer. But number one at at the top of the list is heart issues. And uh, that's what happened to me. I've known for many years that I had mitral valve prolapse because it's a genetic issue. And uh, I got tested 17 years ago. We all did in the family. We all went to the cardiologist after my sister died of aortic aneurysm. And at that time, it was discovered that I had an aortic uh, or I had um, mitral valve prolapse. So in the back of my mind, I always knew that I'd have to watch that. I had a cardiologist for years. And, uh, you know, after many years of successful visits and testing and et cetera, um, my great doctor said, you know what, let's take our foot off the accelerator a little bit. You know, I'll see you in a couple of years. Well, that led to me being away from a cardiac exam for a year longer than I should have been. 
And I knew something was wrong. I just kept chalking it up to other things, you know, and I'm busy and I'm this and I'm that, you know, I mean, we all have those list of things that we uh, put in front of us at any given day. And sometimes our health takes us to the backseat. It's the could should list. Exactly. <laughs> and I kept wishing it away, but I knew I had a rapid heartbeat. I knew that I didn't have energy in my legs to run. I knew these things. Uh, but then it reached a, a, a critical, a very critical stage uh, when my body was swelling and I could uh, feel and hear fluid in my stomach. I could see it in my face and my neck. Uh, and then when I had to sleep sitting up, uh, I knew that we were we we were <laughs> we were at a, a critical stage. Something so, ain't right here. I'm sorry. Something ain't right here. Yeah, something ain't right. That's right. And uh, wouldn't you know, it was a torrential rainstorm in the morning, and it the thunderstorm was kind of symbolic of about you know the storm I was about to go through. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but wait, wait first. So let's let's go back just a little bit. So. First of all, what kind of time frame are we talking here? When did you start? When did you start having some? Hey, I, my legs don't really feel like running. Let's let's first say let's first start. There goes the thunder again. Hope we get away with this. Um, let's first start with Dawn is a beautiful, trim, fit woman. Okay, you would not look at her and say, "Oh." Obviously, you were going to have heart issues. It's not one of those that that you would ever think, right? Right. Um, and how long ago did this did your life sort of start taking little tiny uh, sideways movement? It was October 2019, early morning, okay. going for a run, and I had no power in my in my legs to move. Did you just chalk it up to like, oh, I'm just tired, or? Did you have excuses for yourself that kept you? I had excuses for my, yes, absolutely. I mean, I chalked it up to being tired or, oh, I didn't eat enough carbohydrates to be out here. Okay. So it felt like that kind of, like just didn't have any gas. It, it did. You're right. Right. My body was, you know, or maybe I was thinking maybe I've been running too much and I need to take a, take a break. Okay. So what happens next? Well, I still, then I switched to instead of running to the elliptical and doing jumping jacks and other things. So I just said, well, maybe it's time to take a break. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, can I ask you this? How old were you in 2019 when this was getting? 55. 55. 55. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So you're on the elliptical now. You're doing some alternative exercise, thinking that you're being smart about it. Right. So uh, now, you know, it's the end of the year. It's uh, New Year's. Still, you know, nothing has really changed. I'm st- and I'm talking to some of my friends about what's happening with me. And as a matter of fact, uh, and the friends that I'm talking to are nurses. So one of my friends, Hillary, actually said, you know, this sounds cardiac to me, but it wasn't presenting any of the classic, you know, it, uh, fluid in the neck or fluid in the ankles. I wasn't presenting in that way. Plus, you know, I've always been a runner. I've always exercised. I've always had a lot of energy. So it wasn't kind of unbelievable to even think that it could be anything uh, related to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's Christmas time. And my friend, um, Martha, who is with the Emory Cardiac team, I'm at a party with her. And she's uh, I t- telling her what's happening. And she looks at my neck. She does a little exam. She's like, oh, you're fine. I mean, I, you know, it might just be who knows, asthma, whatever the case may be. So uh, early January, my mom is in the hospital in ICU. She's in Florida. I'm in Georgia, back and forth to see her. Then she's in hospice. Then she passes away. So, and all the while my symptoms are getting worse, but now I'm chalking it up to grief. And I was thinking, right, I'm not handling this very well. I know better. And so that was the progression and how I reasoned my way through it. Right. Right. So unfortunately your mother died. Now you're back in Georgia and things keep getting worse and you're feeling like they should be getting better or what, what's the next step? 
Yes. Now it's a month after mom's passed and uh, things are getting worse. And now I realize that it's not just grief or it's not asthma. It is. This is something significant. I go to my internist on a Monday uh, and she tells me I'm in AFib um, and my blood pressure is high for me. And uh, I can feel my, the pulse in my neck when she laid me back on the table and was examining me. Uh, And I knew I was like, this is something is desperately wrong. And I had these big circles under my eyes and a load of fluid was really starting to build up. And uh, she was concerned. I could see the concern in her eyes. And the next scary, that's very, very scary (laughs) when they don't want to act surprised or concerned, but you can see the concern. So uh, that night was a horrible night. Uh, It was the worst night I've had. But did they just send you home? Did you just go uh, home? I went, I went home, but I went home with medicine with a, with a beta blocker and a blood thinner to take, start taking immediately. Uh, Because at this point now you're, you know, you're afraid of a stroke, especially with your heart beating as fast as my heart was beating. And that night was a rainy, stormy night. And I just remember I couldn't breathe. And I kept saying to my husband, I cannot breathe. I can't breathe. Well, the reason I couldn't breathe is because I was down to a 10% heart output. And I was, I was literally, you know, just filling with fluid and it was everywhere. It was in my nose, in my, it was in my ears. It was, it was in my stomach and my ankles. It was everywhere. You were drowning. I was drowning. So you're telling your husband this, what time of night is this? This is late. It's 11 o'clock. And that was, yeah, everything happens after hours, after hours. And, uh, and, and not just a little rainstorm. It was a huge, (laughs) it was a deluge. And the next morning I woke up early. Oh, you didn't do anything about it. No, no. I can't breathe, but you're like, I'll just sit up on the chair. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, because you don't want to overreact, right? I should have overreacted. Uh, I should have overreacted, you know, two weeks prior, but it worked out uh, the next day. I knew something was desperately wrong. Got up, called my friend, Martha, who's on the Emory cardiac team. And uh, she said, get into the office and see me. And it just so happened that it was echocardio uh, the, the day in her office where the technician was there for echocardiograms and someone had canceled. So she had an opening. Oh, voila. I know. Right. No coincidence. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Went in and saw her the, again, here's another technician and I could just tell, and I'm, I'm dressed for work. I'm going to work after this. I got makeup on hair is done. I'm in my, you're gonna find me that perfect consignment dress is what you're going to do. <laughs> it was just, I was like, you know, I wasn't thinking that there was anything really desperately wrong. Uh, but now the technician has me on the table. She's performing the exam and she keeps asking me to cough or move. And I could just tell from the look on her face, oh, we, we got some trouble here. And then Martha came in and she had me look at the echo. And the next thing I knew, I was being admitted to Emory, uh, to Emory Hospital. And I stayed there for uh, five days. And during that time, they performed a battery of tests just to ensure uh, that they were correct in what they were thinking. And uh, I was in heart failure. You were in heart failure. Here we have somebody who's always taking care of themselves, mm-hmm. fit, a runner, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that I consider you look at you epitome of health and happiness. You got the good job, you got the good marriage, all is well. That, well, thank this you. This is happening to you. Yes, yes. It, it was a shock. Um, when the doctor came in the hospital room and said to my husband and I, you're in heart failure. Oh my God. Uh, with the, it was at first it was, what, what would they, you know, I'm young, I'm 55. I, I run half marathons. How can You're I in the wrong room, here? buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Down the hall to the left. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's somebody sicker than me next door. Yeah. That was the, that's what was happening is that we all have heartstrings that are connected to our mitral valve. So wait, uh, before you keep going. Cause yeah. I've asked you this before and I still can't explain it. Please explain what is a heart string for those who don't know. Okay. So on our mitral valve, our mitral valve, there are strings that connect both sides of the valve. So when the strings come together, 
That's how it transports the blood through the valve and then up and around uh, to be oxygenated. And then, you know, that's how we keep the blood flowing through our bodies. Okay. Thank you. So we all have heartstrings. I mean, it's not just a poetic. Yeah. When you first said that, I'm like, what are you trying to get out of here? Yeah, no, we we all have literal heartstrings. And uh, the surgeon still doesn't know if I went into AFib and my heart was beating for so long for months uh, that the strings broke. You mean so fast for so long? Beating so fast for so long uh, at a rapid heartbeat that the strings broke or vice versa. The strings broke first and then, you know, went into AFib. But either way, my heart was beating in a pronounced rate for months and it just was getting weaker and weaker. Oh my gosh. You were like wearing your muscle out. Correct. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so, as, so you're now taking in this information, right? Heart failure, mm-hmm. which I mean, if somebody said that to me right now, I don't even know what I would probably start crying. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. What did you, your husband's with you? I think you're saying you were- Yes, he was. Eric was with me. We were in shock, absolute shock. We, well, first of all, we were kind of in denial. Like, what that's for older people. I mean, you know, I'm 55 and, you know, in good health. And, and they were examining every part of our lifestyle, you know. Um, you know, I mean, at that point, you're, you're laying in that bed and your whole life is flashing before you. And you're, you're just trying to figure out how to make sure you wake up the next day, literally. Wow. And uh, the doctors were amazing, uh, amazing uh, at Emory. They, that cardiac unit is top notch. So once we got over the initial shock, um, it was game on. What do we have to do? You know, what needs to be done? I know for myself, I spent a lot of night uh, during that week in the dark, just thinking about, you know, you want to live, you got to, you know, do what it takes to, to get out of here. Did you ever think otherwise? Or were you always like, nope, I got this. I'm going to, I'm going to make it through this. Uh, there was a brief minute after he told me I was in heart failure that I thought, Oh, what does this mean? What is the, what's the next thing he's going to tell me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically what he said is that if I wasn't in such great shape, we would have had a different outcome. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all those years of you thanking yourself for taking care of yourself. Right. So right then I was thankful for all those years that, you know, and all the travel that I've done all over the United States when I was with a different company, the first thing I always packed in my suitcase was my sneakers. Wow. Something to be said for that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Mm -hmm. So what, what did they end up doing for you so that you could be sitting here talking to us on the podcast? Well, the, that week they ran a battery test. So basically they had to see what was going on inside my body, whether clogged arteries, um, how, what did my heart look like? You know, they did an internal scope. Um, they also had me up on an operating table with me awake and they did, uh, a heart, um, a scan. So that means that they fed uh, a line up through the femoral artery, another one through my wrist. And I could see on the camera on the big screen next to me, they were, they were checking to see that everything was clear because the, I had two choices. If I had clogged arteries, they were going to have to cut open my chest and do a traditional open heart surgery. And the surgery that I had read about and knew that I wanted was robotic. And it's, they go in through the side over, you know, on the upper part of your chest. For me, it was on the upper right side. They go through your rib cage, very close to your breast area, and they go in that way. So you don't have the open heart um, scars and the healing time was so much faster as well. So all the testing they did that week was to find out how they could get in there. And there's also, there was also the repair to the mitral valve versus an artificial valve being put in. And that's significant because if you can have a repair to your valve, you're not on medicine the rest of your life. Significant medicine. Oh, Um, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So the surgeon was able to repair my valve. And also he used Gore-Tex 
which is that raincoat material to make new heartstrings and uh, they, do they, some they, they created heartstrings mm-hmm. out of Gore-Tex. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Cause Thank I was going to ask you, that was my next question. So what about these heartstrings that are broken? What do you do for that? Right. Well, they fashion, uh, you know, strings that are made out of Gore-Tex and that's the robot. The robot goes in and the surgeon is manipulating the robot and the precision that the robot has is five to seven times stronger or more acute than even the a surgeon's hands could be if they were inside. Right. So it was exactly what I wanted, uh, was a mitral valve repair and have it done robotically. Wow. Oh my gosh. How, how lucky are you? So tell us how was the, you come out of surgery. Were you knocked out for the real surgery? Oh yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. I was under for about seven hours. So after the, after they were, you're looking at the screen next to you, right? That procedure where you're looking and they're feeding the, the tubes in you and they're doing a scan and all that. How long until you had the surgery, this big six, six weeks later. So they weeks later, why uh, six weeks later? Why didn't they just my body, Well, my body wasn't strong enough to go through the surgery. So the doctor, uh, the cardiologist said, Dawn, I don't want you sitting on the couch. I want you, when you get home, I want you to walk. Well, it was in the middle of COVID. I wasn't allowed back at the store uh, via doctor's orders because of COVID and the possible exposure, because that, that really, that would have taken a toll on my body. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have anything else to do, right? So I'm reading and I'm reading about the surgery and heart failure. And so every day I put my shoes on, I walked first a mile, then two miles, then three miles, then four miles. Then I was up to walking 20 miles a week. So as, as humans, our hearts, the ejection fracture of our hearts, it's not a hundred percent. Our hearts output at 60 to 65%. So I was down to 10% when I first got admitted to the hospital, but through six weeks of walking and no salt and a great diet, no exercise, I mean, no alcohol, uh, very clean eating and the walking, emphasize again, the walking, mm-hmm. uh, I got my ejection fracture back up to uh, normal range, 60% before surgery. Wow. wow. Now I just have a really quick question because if I'm just thinking if I were you and I have all this information about my heart, can't see it can't really feel it. And now the doctor's saying, go ahead, put on those sneakers and start walking. I'd be like, oh my gosh, am I going to like, were you ever scared that you could just die while you're walking, that you would just like something bad would happen to your heart while you were walking? Or is there, is there anything they told you not to be afraid of so that you could get out there and do it? Cause I would have, I would have thought, let's just lay low and let my heart just kind of chillax for a little while. Mm-hmm. Which was probably not what you needed to do. Obviously, you needed to go do this. Sure, scary. The the part that I knew, and and the, the doctors were great about explaining it, is that our heart is a muscle, and so if you work the muscle, it will get stronger. And they had me on enough medicine that I felt confident okay. um, that they wouldn't have recommended that. I mean, I trust their authority and their insight, you know, tremendously. And I also was wearing an Apple watch. So I knew what my heart rate was at and I carried my phone with me. So I, the other part is I just gave it up to God, you know, I mean, that's, I just felt like I had a hand making sure that I was going to make it. So let's, let's go for it. You were going to make it. Mm -hmm. You knew there was something bigger, better waiting. Mm -hmm. That's right. Oh my gosh. But just tell me that first time you went out to walk. I, I was scared. I was very nervous because also I wasn't very steady on my feet. So I actually, my girlfriend walked with me to make sure that I was okay. Really? Um, yeah. My friends would walk with me for probably the first week just to be sure that I was okay. And you were so were, weak from everything that had happened. Yes. Wow. And you didn't even know how weak you were, did you? I, at the time I wasn't even allowing myself to absorb like any of that because in my mind, I was just like, you want to live? We got to move. You want to live? We got to you know, cut out the salt and, uh, and any other bad things that you might want to consume. And I just was focused on the surgery has to happen. 
Uh, and this is what I have to do to make it happen. Wow. Well, good for you. Oh my gosh. So then you go through the surgery and you told me a, a nice little story when you came out of surgery. <laughs> Can you share that? Sure. I, well, my number one that I was very focused on was waking up. Right. Uh, just the thought of giving up all that control, so to speak, and you're out. I mean, you're out for seven, seven, eight hours, whatever the case was to make it to, uh, to get everything fixed. Cause when you're in there, let's get it all done. Let's not wow. do this again. And, um, I just wanted to wake up. And so when I opened my eyes and I saw my husband walking towards me, I was giddy and he looked like a cartoon character because I was still so loopy. I mean, he had like stars in his eyes and he looked a little, uh, he looked, he really, that's all the best way I can describe it. He looked like a cartoon character. I was so giddy that he took a video of me. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. And again, it's during COVID. So I could only see him for those 10 minutes. And he oh, was staying at a hotel a mile away in case there was an issue. And that was it. That's the only time we had. Uh, and that was admitted on a Tuesday. So I could have the COVID testing to be sure that I didn't have COVID. So I could have surgery Wednesday morning. Now I see him. It's Wednesday afternoon. And uh, that's it. Yes. Very strict about it too. Yeah, they had to be, but that's tough. Mm -hmm. Could he even give you a hug when you came out of surgery? Well, I was so, I was, I had a lot of wires and and things hooked to me that the nurse was good about keeping a blanket right up to my neck. So uh, it was, but it was exactly what I needed. I just know two things. I needed to see him and I needed to know I was, I made it. Oh my gosh. That must've been the best feeling to wake up and be like, I'm here. I'm here. I made it. Oh my gosh. It still, it still gets me. It still is, uh, you know, it's, it's still kind of an unbelievable feeling when you think about all of that. And they, you know, the fact that it was a year ago, I mean, this past year has been an amazing journey too. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I do want to share though, a little bit about your past first, like you are kind of a rock star. Tell us about, you know, one thing we found out that I thought was really interesting, we're just talking about your past, which, you know, isn't as important to the story as the message we're trying to get out today. But we both, we think we're in Setauket, Long Island, because we're at the same age, mm-hmm. both there around the same time, right? Is that what we thought? Yes, at the same elementary school. Which is so weird, <laughs> so random. And here we are in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, we are the, um, what are we? The, what do they call us? I forgot what they call us. Oh, Yankees. we're the Yankees. Oh, we're, yes. We're, we'll always be the Yankees, no matter how long we've lived here. Correct. So, um, I just thought that was neat, but you were telling me a little bit about your background and your traveling. And I just thought that was, it was really interesting because all of that has led you to where you are now doing the kinds of things you are now that I want to share. So just give us a little brief stuff about Dawn, like a little bit who you are and how you got to where you were and where you are now. Well, yeah, thank you. So I have always, my whole career, I've always been in uh, retail and uh, I was with Victoria's Secret for years and loved that. And I was down in Miami and my district manager at the time knew that I wanted, my dream was to move to Atlanta. So when the when the store opened in uh, in Atlanta, uh, they transferred me up here, and this is almost thirty years ago. And loved that job. And then from there was one of my managers went to another company, and then from there I went. I made it to David's Bridal, and I was with David's Bridal. So it's a big bridal retailer here in the United States, and they have stores in London and Hawaii, and and I was with them for seventeen years. Doing and- what? What were you doing for them? So I started as a trainer for them, um, training managers and training store associates to do their job, leadership training. And during that whole time, I always loved the coaching uh, aspect, you know, going in and and coaching a a leader so he or she could be more effective for their store, for themselves, for, you know, the people, and ultimately for the business. And uh, loved that job, transitioned from uh, trainer to the director of training, to the VP of training. Wow. And, 
and did that. And I was fortunate. I mean, I loved, loved, loved that. It was the, the greatest job. And I always used to tell my team, let's enjoy it for every minute that we're together. Someday it will end. And it ended. <laughs> and, uh, and, but you know what? All of that education and training and time with people really uh, positioned me for, you know, the two things I'm doing now. And I'm, I'm lucky because I've always worked in emotional retail. So there's a different element to it when you're getting someone dressed for the wedding, you're getting someone dressed, maybe they had breast cancer and they need a new bra or uh, now being out at resource and, and honey, honeycomb consignment, there's people we're meeting from all over the world that are looking for the community that Serenby is, a place where you can walk to work and you can pick blueberries at the crosswalk and you can take uh, Pilates and yoga and uh, meet your neighbors and have dinner with your neighbors and know who your neighbors are. Right. So, right. um, that also helped me a great deal too, the full circle, because it's a wellness community and going through the rehab that I needed to, it has really been, uh, an incredible spot for me to get stronger and better every day. And so I'm always so thankful for that. And then along the way, I always, I knew, uh, you know, when I left David's that I loved the coaching aspect. So I went to the best coaching school that's available, got certified in uh, to be a leadership life coach. And uh, my specialty is really, really working with the young adults who are looking for, to get to know themselves better, to overcome obstacles that they feel are in their way. They define their own behavior. That's what I love about coaching. And um, so I'm, you know, really fortunate. And I, I use those coaching skills on myself a lot this last year. And, uh, you know, you really, you really have to pull uh, from within an internal uh, strength and source, and you have to rely on yourself and you really have to kick yourself in the pants. And so all the experience I've had and uh, the great family I have and the great circle of friends and just amazing, you know, even you, Wendy, I mean, coming in, we were talking about the story and, and what happened and, you know, anything, this is the way I've always positioned my life. If there's something that I've learned, I want to pass it on. And that's essentially what we're doing today. Because the thing that I have learned, if you don't open your mouth and you don't talk about something, then you're holding that within and you don't know the people you could be helping with your knowledge yeah. and your life, your life experience. I mean, we're here for a reason. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Preach. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's like, oh, I didn't want to burden you with the fact that this horrific thing had happened. I'm like, how are you burdening me? I no. need to be here for you in whatever capacity my intersection with you is at this time, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. We'll interact with people when we're supposed to and share and kick ideas around or whatever it is and serve each other. And that's what I love about you because mm -hmm. you've been really helpful to me in the past because I, I just out of nowhere was like, hey, found my birth mother, <laughs> visitor, and I don't, I got to bring something but I don't know what to bring. And together mm -hmm. we found this little bracelet that had this little compass on it. And the coolest mm -hmm. thing I couldn't wait when I got back from Montana visiting her, I ran to your store. I knew you were working. And I said, Dawn, she was loving the bracelet, wearing the bracelet. And when we went out to dinner, we took a picture in front of this fireplace of this restaurant. And right behind us in the picture is the same little compass. It was, it looked like it was the same thing. That's that so beautiful. Bracelet. I mean, yeah. what? what's the How odds happen? Uh-huh. That's right. There's way more to you. What I want to find out first though, is how did you recover? What did the recovery look like? Cause you're back. Like no one would know you went through this a year mm -hmm. ago. Right. No, there's no, right. Well, thank you. So uh, my stint in the hospital was three days. So I had surgery on a Wednesday and I was home by noon on Saturday. That's, but that's, the, that's determination. I was bound and determined to get out of there. Well, there was also COVID as a factor. I mean, uh, there was a, a gentleman that they wheeled into ICU. He was four beds over and he had COVID as best as they could try and keep all of us safe from it. It was um, 
you know, I saw it full on, full, full face. But I, I needed to get home. I knew that I could rehab at home so much better. And I knew that my circle of support out here, we live, my husband and I are fortunate enough to live on a beautiful lake uh, in Billerica, and uh, it is a healing spot. So I knew that I needed to get home. I needed to be in our space, needed to see my dog, Charlie. And um, I just needed the love that I knew was waiting. And the good food. I mean, there was good food was coming and uh, I was excited. So the first, the first week, you know, obviously I was in pain and tried not to take the, the pain meds more than needed, but definitely didn't hold back because your body needs to heal. Right. And the stress of pain is too much. So did that good week. I'd say probably within 10 days, I was up walking again, you know, taking little walks and uh, I wound up that first month was significant, but I, I healed really fast. And I used, you know, great oils on my skin for scar, you know, to prevent scarring and uh, ate well and slept. And, you know, it was just amazing. And I, I wound up, uh, Garney was great. Uh, I work for Garney and Nigren and uh, Raina Newell and Monica Olson out there. And they, those three owners were terrific. They made sure. Um, I mean, I was honest with them and I said, because it can be a physical job. Very and I wasn't allowed. Job. Right. And yeah. I wasn't able to lift anything. And I just didn't want to overdo it or get in there and have to, you know, backslide. So uh, you know, I was out for two months, but when I got back in, it was full on. I was ready to go. Yeah. And uh so you know exercise, sleep, uh vitamins, the Pilates, uh, you know, all of that has been a major part of the rehabilitation over the last year. And uh I saw Martha, my you know, my friend who's the on the Emory cardiac team uh just last week, and you know, moving right along in the right direction. Good as can be. That's right. I love, I love that for you. But what I really love is how you want to take this and present it to the world. Can you share, please? Sure. So still in the initial phases, I mean, I love public speaking. I'm, I'm a very, I love it. I thrive on it. That's what I did at David's for years. And I know that in order to get on the public speaking platform, you know, having a book is always the best way to do it because your story needs to be down on paper and it is something, you know, Wendy, you and I've talked about now for a while. And it, it's one of those things where I know I need to do it because it, every week I'm hearing of more people with heart issues that are close to us. Our, uh, a friend of ours who's actually very close with my brother and sister-in-law, Deb York, uh, 63 years old, two weeks ago, um, didn't feel well in the night, got up, took some antacids for her stomach. I believe that's what it was. And then uh, woke up again. And um, by that point, she was in a full-fledged heart attack. Yeah. And she died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital at 63. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's what I've told you, what we've talked about before. It's a preventable surprise, right? It's a, if there's something in our life that we can prevent. And, and we asked Martha last night, you know, what do you think? What? What age should we start getting our hearts examined? And her first, you know, thought was, well, if you have family history, for sure, the earlier the better. And now in our family, you know, the this mitral valve prolapse, mitral valve issues is significant. My cousin was went through the surgery the same time I did. Um, different, his heartstrings didn't break, but his mitral valve was compromised. He had some clogged arteries, so he had to have open open heart surgery versus my robotic surgery. And uh, I just know from my journey, and I know that a lot of us ignore signs. It's just part of our makeup as humans. And it's so important. Um, You know, you've got the widow maker, which our neighbor and friend across the street, uh, avid runner. Steve is incredible, incredibly fit guy. And he was going to have a knee surgery, I believe. And his uh, doctor, um, who's also one of our very good friends, recommended that he get his neck scanned. 
And during that next scan, they saw that he had the Widowmaker and they strapped him to a gurney and rushed him to the hospital. And they put five stints in him that day. Now, if he had gone home or wasn't, didn't have the recommended neck scan on his carotid artery, he probably wouldn't be here now. So the longer I live and the more that I talk about what happened to me, someone has, oh my gosh, well, I'm glad you told me because this is what happened to me or happened to my brother, happened to my mother or my sister. And it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that I sure would love to see. It becomes part of our yearly well person exam. Do they examine your heart though? Are you talking about like getting a heart scan or what is someone, if someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I I mean, I get the cholesterol stuff done and the the numbers, right? But -hmm. nobody's said to me, I need to worry about anything. I don't have any symptoms, but Mm -hmm. what is that? I think the first thing that doctors listen for is a murmur. And if they hear a murmur, it's usually an indication that there's maybe something, you know, more significantly wrong. I, I, I just have to say that if my sister didn't die of an aortic aneurysm, I was actually 17 years now, none of us would have been checked. And, you know, we wouldn't have known any of this. And I actually was born with mitral valve prolapse, you know, that it's a genetic, but I would still be, you know, going on my merry way, not thinking that I needed a cardiologist. So, you know, the first, I think the first thing is know your family history. Uh, too often in families, we don't talk about, you know, why did aunt, you know, aunt Irma pass away or what happened to grandpa or, you know, what, what is it that we have that could be possibly be passed on? And then you talk to your doctor about it. If there is history, you definitely get a workup sooner than later. For me, the, the best view that I have ever seen is the echocardiogram because it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a good image of how strong your heart is. Um, and then you go from there, depending on what's going on. But I think awareness is half the battle, knowing your family history first uh, and proceeding from there. And I would, um, at this stage of the game, I mean, my husband has his own, you know, heart history uh, in his family. So there's things that he's been through. There's so many tests and so many things they can do from invasive to uh, I'm sorry, not, not just invasive, but, you know, um, the comprehensive, like a dye that goes through your whole body uh, to more thorough. Like I've had an internal scope before where they, you're out, uh, you're under sedation, and they put a scope in your mouth. And it, I mean, it is literally right there at your heart, examining what's happening with your heart. It's a very clear up close view. So there's a lot they can do now. And the technology is amazing. But again, I would just go back to awareness is half the battle. Know your family history, ask the questions, find out if you have any of that in your family, you know, in, in, the, in the lineage. And certainly if you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, that's, that's a no brainer. Those are two indicators right there right. of a possible issues. So you're going to write a book. And I'm going to keep asking for it because it has to happen. It has to happen. And yeah, you're a great speaker and you're also a life coach. And that seems to have kicked into gear since all of this too. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, thank you. Yes. I, um, I was certified six years ago, but I've always been a coach, you know, in business. And my, the name of my company is New Dawn Coaching and Leadership Training. Oh, I love that. Okay. And it's and it's new, like NU and then Dawn. And uh, I've always enjoyed sitting with people and just having them tell me, you know, what's holding you back? You know, what is it that, you know, where do you want to be? And, you know, what's happening? What's your roadblock? And let's talk about it. And I have a young lady I'm working with now, and I'm so proud of her. We had a session this morning and she has in two and a half months has come leaps and bounds. I mean, uh, it's just, it, it's exciting to me. It's really exhilarating. And, you know, we all have these, um, we all have a plan and I love that, you know, I had the insight when I left David's bridal to go get certified. Cause I knew I wanted to do something, stay in that vein. And it took some time, you know, for me to, to come, come to this place, 
But now I, I, the one thing that I do realize about this whole heart issue is don't waste time. You know, it's, you know, you have, it's your day, it's your minute, it's your hour. Uh, You're not going to get the same day back and you got to make the most of it while, while you can. So I, um, I'm really happy. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where the business is starting to roll and it's, it's been very organic and it will continue to be that way. And it's all through talking and word of mouth and goodness knows I love to talk. But you're effective. You always have a solution. You always have another way to look at something. And as you were telling me, you let people, you guide people to their own conclusions so that they can make their own decisions, their own choices to -hmm. do what it is they need to do. And you're just like the conduit for that. And that's really important. Everybody needs that. So thank you for offering that service and we'll put it in the show notes. But one thing I do want to ask you that I have not asked you yet is what would you say your biggest, it's probably two questions. First one is what's your biggest lesson from all of this? I think I know the answer, but just in case. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is how are you looking at life now versus a year ago? Mm. Go. Thank you. Two, two really great questions. Um, don't ignore your body. If you, if you, we all know, if we're in tune with our bodies, do not hesitate to seek help. Don't put it off. Health is the number, having great health is the number one gift we can all have in our lives. Because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Um, and you could be the richest person, but be bedridden and What's the sense of that, right? So great health, know your body, listen to the signs, act on it. Don't wait until it's too late. I got lucky. I got very lucky and I'm very aware of that. So I will never, ever do that again. I'm very in tune. And I'm also now more in tune with other people. If I see someone uh, that I know well, it doesn't look well, you know, it's start asking those questions. Are you okay? What's going on? Uh, kind of thing. Because again, if I wasn't in such great shape, I've run nine half marathons, I wouldn't be here to be talking about this today. So very aware of that. And then the second piece is um, it's, it's t- time, right? I mean, that was the, the other question. Yeah. Was- How are you viewing your life? I guess life in general. Mm-hmm. Now versus before all this. I'm excited. I'm excited and I don't waste any time. I'm excited. Uh, I'm very proud of myself because I know I'm very determined and um, I didn't want to be a burden on anyone. That's why I was quick to like get in, get healed. Let's go. Let's get moving. There's a lot of life. There's a lot of great places to see. My husband's in the travel business now that COVID is, you know, we're, we're on the other side of COVID. It's going to be great to go back to Europe and see things. And, you know, selfishly, I want to see it all. I want to do it all. So uh, that's, what's really changed me is let's not, let's not wait, you know, Um, let's, let's not, nothing is going to change unless you make the change and um, you you need to be in control of your life. Totally. Be present too. I think you told me one day, be present every day for everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Totally what you do. Well, thank you. Um, and nothing like laying in the dark, you know, for not just one week, but two weeks, just two weeks while you're in the hospital with nothing to do, just thinking about your life. I mean, this is it. Uh, wow. And you better make the most of it. And that means holistically. I mean, and no one can take care of your health the way that you can. Yeah. We need to just be in tune with our bodies and not. One thing that I, that we had talked about before that I think is really important to bring up before we wrap this up is for some reason, and I've been there where you know something's wrong and you're almost, you almost say, oh, I, I'm embarrassed. You know, if there's nothing wrong, you know, then I'm wasting people's time. Who am I to think that I should get any attention for this little thing that I think might be, a sc- what if it's not, I'm going to feel stupid. Mm-hmm. And that's, you're saying, even if you feel that way, go in and get it looked at anyway. That's right. Have faith in your own ability and don't, don't question your ability to know your body. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, you have to, I mean, 
you have to be your own best advocate. No one else can do it for you. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. So uh, I'd rather be a little embarrassed, but be alive and be healthy than, uh, you know, it's one thing to be a hypochondriac and, uh, and, you know, be stunted in life because you're constantly focused on, you know, this, that, or the other thing, but it's another thing to be proactive and be your own best advocate for sure. Yes, absolutely. So Don, if you had to leave us with a saying or a mantra or something that keeps you so positive and moving forward through all of this, what would that be? Hmm. We all be the winner that you know that you are. Win at the things that matter in life, great health, great relationship. Win at the game of life and get the best that you can and live the best and life possible. I mean, why not? As far as we know, we only get one right now. That's right. That's right. As far as we know. As far as we know. <laughs> and you and I can go off because uh-huh. you actually sent me an angel person that you speak to. Like there's some intuitive stuff with you and you and I have talked about, which is one of the reasons you knew you had to get to the doctor. Um mm-hmm. And I, I can't wait for your book uh, to come out because you're going to share some of that in your book, I'm sure. But Don, my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this message. I know it's not an easy story to tell and it was tough time for you, but the message is so important and being willing to just take your day off <laughs> and spend it with me and waiting for a thunderstorm to go by so that we could record. I, I really appreciate you and your time and your message. Well, Wendy, thank you. Listen, I appreciate our closeness in the store, not knowing, you know, how, where this was going to lead to and not knowing that we were going to discover that as kids, we were growing up on the same land on on Long (laughs) Island. It's so crazy, Uh, but there's no coincidences in life. And uh, I mean, the people that are in your circle, they're the ones that are meant to be. And I thank you for allowing me to tell this story. It's a very important message. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to get it out there. Ah, You are more than welcome, girl. (laughs) I am thrilled and humbled and so grateful to you. So until next time, think about this. Think about your health and breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile made you think and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.